We've been studying the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. If you brought a Bible, you may want to make your way to Mark's Gospel. Follow along in our passage that we're going to look at today in chapter 2. Have you ever been around someone who snores very loud? Oh, glad I'm not the only one. Um, Hey, no, 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 no. Wait, just a minute, let me get my foot out of my mouth. Okay, that's not my wife. She does not snore. We're, we're happy. But I have been with people who snore very loudly. One morning, a wife woke her husband up and said, Jack, if you don't stop snoring, I'm going to leave. And Jack said, does my snoring bother you that much? And he said, not just me, but the entire congregation. <laughs> so, well, I can tell you one thing as we look at the Gospel of Mark. Jesus never had any problem keeping people awake. Um, Sunday mornings, we have been studying the Gospel of Mark, who is writing to show us the real Jesus using eyewitness accounts. Mark spends the first eight chapters answering the question, who is Jesus? And then beginning in chapter 9 to the end, he shows Jesus' mission as it progresses to the cross and finally to the resurrection. Now, last time, in answer to those who were critical of his ministry, in accusing his disciples of violating the Sabbath law, Jesus uses the analogies of a wedding feast, a new cloth, and new wine to cryptically point to his identity as the Messiah, the Son of God. For us, this controversy becomes another opportunity to learn more information about Jesus' identity, and today we'll see how it relates to our relationship to God's law. So if you want to follow, I'm going to be in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23 to 28. And it happened as Jesus, he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In response to the Pharisees' accusation that Jesus and his disciples were violating the Sabbath by picking heads of grain as he walked through the field, Jesus focuses on the basis, really, for why we should keep God's law, which I think we'll develop today. Um, Jesus and the disciples were picking these heads of grain, and the Pharisees came up, and if I could translate it in kind of more literally, they're, they're basically uh, emphatic, it's an emphatic rebuke. They're saying, hey, look here, these people, 
your disciples, <laughs> are doing what's not permitted or lawful on the Sabbath. They're the Sabbath police. Okay? Uh, look here. These people, you go, what the tech the, literally says, these people. And he is referring to his disciples. Jesus responds to their critical judgment by referring to the word of God when he says, have you never read the thing that David did? What you may not pick up here is that Jesus is subtly challenging the basis for their accusation. Uh, The fourth commandment in the Torah says this about the Sabbath. Exodus 20, 8 to 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, it's pretty clear. Uh, One day in seven, Sabbath, stop working. Rest. What you need to understand is that uh, over the centuries, after that law was given, um, given to Moses, Jewish teachers of the law wrote commentaries on the law to answer questions about how, how should we interpret this? How, does, how should we apply this law? And here's a very important point where this is all headed. People in Israel who believed in God wanted to know exactly what they had to do to be accepted by God. Exactly. That was their assurance. So, the rabbis, scribes, and teachers of the law obliged. They began writing down how to properly keep God's laws. Uh, These writings came to be known as the Jewish Talmud and the Jewish Mishnah. By the time of Jesus, there were about 600 additions to explain how to keep the Sabbath. Just from those couple of verses. Uh, 39 categories detailed rules that had been added to the fourth commandment specifically about how to handle grains. This was to make sure you were doing it properly. Lawfully. The added rules prohibited things like this. I pulled this out of the Mishnah. Uh, plowing, sowing, reaping, binding, threshing, kneading, baking, and so on and so on about the Sabbath law. Related to grains. Look, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to answer the question... Uh, As God looks down on us, what constitutes work so we know exactly how to obey that law so he will accept us? And here, let me pull a few of these out of the Mishnah. Uh, Question, can I place food in an oven on the Sabbath? 
Answer, no. Placing food in an oven would be considered work unless it's done before sunset. Question, can we light a fire on the Sabbath? Yes, but you may not replace a wick. Question, can I pluck grain on the Sabbath? No, plucking grain was considered reaping, so you could not do that on the Sabbath. That's what the Pharisees are referring to. It's not permitted. By the way, the Jewish leaders, uh, religious leaders, uh, have continued to add rules over time that apply even to these modern times. If you're in Israel, you go there today, you'll discover for Jews, it's not lawful to push an elevator button. That's considered work. Um, So, in Israel, they have specially designated Sabbath elevators, which stop on every floor. You don't have to push a button. God will accept you. This is exactly what you have to do, you see, to keep that commandment. Now, the Pharisees' accusation that Jesus' disciples were violating the Sabbath by plucking heads of grain is telling because the way they said it. These people are doing what's not permitted on the Sabbath. Jesus' answer basically is conveying, um, who doesn't permit it? Where does it say that in the Torah? You see, it doesn't. Plucking grains to eat when you're hungry uh, is something people added to the law so they could make sure what they were doing was perfectly acceptable to God. We have to figure out what work means, you see. (laughs) And plucking grains resembled work. Uh, The Pharisees were not basing, see, their application on what God's word actually said. They're basing it on what their interpretation of that law meant and the rules they said, this is how you fulfill it. That's why Jesus responds, notice what he does. He goes right back to the scripture. Haven't you ever read the scripture? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Uh, He's going to demonstrate their interpretation and application of the law can't be right. Because look at what David did according to the scripture. He ate consecrated bread, something only the priests were allowed to do. If you read it in Leviticus, why? He ate it because he was in need. This is what, look at verse 25. You ever never read what David did when he was in need? He's not working to make a living. He's hungry. He's in, his life is in danger. He's being pursued by Saul. And God did not condemn him for it. That can't be what the Sabbath law means. Meeting needs. Jesus then ends with a very powerful statement. 
that we'll, we'll, we'll have to flesh it out next week because it would take me way too much time. I know you want to get out today before 3, so I'm just going to go ahead and get you out, okay? So <laughs> let me paraphrase, I think, what Jesus is saying here at the very end. He say, if that's not enough for you, I am giving them permission to pluck grain to eat because of who I am. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I can't wait until we flesh that out next week. It's one of the most powerful uh, statements in the New Testament about Jesus. But I won't take the time today because I want to talk about how this little incident uh, helps us understand, Jesus' answer tells us, help, uh, helps us understand why we keep God's law in the first place. And we'll see there's, a, there's two diametrically opposed reasons for why people keep God's word. Two diametrically opposed reasons. And Jesus, I believe, is confronting and explaining Uh, the proper use of God's law here. In the New Testament, even the Apostle Paul teaches us that God's law is good if we use it properly. 1 Timothy 1.8, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully or properly. What we need to understand is that Jesus is affirming God's law and are keeping it as it is written. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it very clear that God's law is true, it's valid, it's unalterable, and it's applicable throughout all time. He says in Matthew 5, 17 and 19, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophet. I I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps them and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In another incident, uh, Jesus, I, I think, is helpful when he says, I think he's saying, There's nothing wrong with God's law as it is written. What's wrong is sometimes our understanding and application of it. Listen to what he said to the, uh, he responded to the Sadducees once who didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. Here's his answer to them in Mark 12, 24. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are mistaken? You don't understand the scripture. They would, I'll tell you what, they would say, no, we believe it. Uh, The Torah, that's God's word. He said, and then he, I wish I had time to go there. He quotes from the Torah to show them they were wrong. God's living. He's not the God of the dead. How is that possible? Anyway, this is not the reason you're mistaken. You don't understand the scripture or the power of God. In other words, what's wrong is not the scripture. It's our understanding. Keep that in mind the next time we're struggling about what does this mean or how does this apply. Need God's help, the Spirit's help. In Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, he tells them that the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. 
By that, I, I believe Jesus is saying that all God's laws were given for our benefit. They weren't just given to have laws for law's sake. In Galatians 3, Paul tells us that God gave us the law, two main reasons, to protect us from sin and to lead us to faith in Jesus. Galatians 3.19, why the law then? Why was it given? It was added because of transgressions. We need to know this, what's holy, what's righteous, what's true. And having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed, referring to the Messiah, would come to whom the promise had been made. And secondly, Galatians 3, 23-24, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Not by following the minutiae of what constitutes work so we can be assured we're accepted by God. And this is where it's leading. When Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man. Now man for the Sabbath, he's contrasting here two diametrically opposed ways of looking at and reasons for keeping God's law. The difference is between a spiritual life based on religion and a spiritual life based on relationship. The Sabbath controversy, and the next one we'll see next week, illustrates the fundamental difference in how we think or how people think we're made acceptable to God. It's the difference between law and grace. It's the difference between being good versus believing in Jesus. It's the difference between practicing a religion versus knowing and loving a person. It's huge. And asking exactly what do I need to do to be saved, to be accepted by God, to make it, by making sure you keep God's law is the basis of all religion everywhere except Christianity. Listen close. <laughs> I would argue Jesus is saying legalism and moralism is the wrong application of God's law. So we saw before in the last session when Jesus called Levi the tax collector and ate with tax collectors and sinners, the people followed him because their focus was on Jesus. He was the Messiah. Not, Jesus didn't accept them based on their performance of God's law. You meet these conditions first, and then, then I'll come and eat with, then we can have fellowship. No, they believed in him. Understanding this is a huge, huge paradigm shift for most people. Our, def our default mode is always to revert to legalistic thinking, moralistic thinking. Being good is why God loves and accepts me. 
The gospel, on the other hand, invites whosoever will come, believe, receive salvation, and as a result, you are accepted because you have a relationship with his son, Jesus. Then, after believing and receiving it, out of gratitude, we now keep his word, treasure it, not to gain his acceptance, but to love him. <laughs> out of gratitude, be his disciple. Listen, listen to how Jesus describes this in relational terms, keeping his word. John 14, 20 and 21. He says to his disciples, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one I'm going to save and give eternal life to. No. That's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I'll love him, I'll disclose myself to him. Intimacy is found in abiding and keeping his word. That's how we express our love, devotion to him. Not to gain our acceptance. Oh, I got to be good, otherwise God will somehow hit me with a lightning bolt and blow me away. Or this is is why all these bad things are happening, because I haven't been good enough. That's not the gospel, my friend. Most people in the world and all other religions believe that if there is a God, you relate to him by being good. Just listen to the secular culture anywhere. That's the thinking. You want to go to the good place? Be good. Do good things. God's laws give us his advice and commands. You follow them, he'll accept you. But the gospel, you see, is not advice. It's news. It's an announcement. (laughs) God is telling us, I fully accept what Jesus has already done, and if you believe in him, I'm going to give you eternal life forever. And once you receive it, now go. Do some good things. Religion says, if I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I am fully accepted in Jesus, therefore I obey. It's a huge paradigm shift. Religion says, I give God what he wants, in exchange, he owes me. He should give me what I'm asking. I've been good, righteous. Gospel says, God in Christ gives me complete salvation, received as a gift by faith, and now I gladly and gratefully live for Him. When Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He really is declaring, I think, an end of religion as a way of relating to God and replacing it with himself. 
Before that time, and I could refer to several confrontations he had with the Pharisees. John 5, 39. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But it's they that bear witness to me. But you refuse to come to me that you may receive eternal life. Wrong view of scriptures. You don't get it. That's not the gospel. A relationship with Jesus is all we need now to relate to God because he is God. And uh, the apostle Peter really made this clear in his first letter when he really describes religion as a futile way of life that they once practiced. As he says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. What is he referring to? You keep all this. Uh, follow all the rules and regulations that God will accept you. You inherited that. But that's not how you were redeemed. You were redeemed with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And yet, relating to God by following a religion is the extent of the spiritual life of most people. That's why he wants us to herald the gospel freedom from a futile way of life. Jesus is the only way, the final way, we can actually have a relationship with God by faith. John 14, 6, you know the verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In these Sabbath incidents, Jesus isn't saying we don't have to keep God's word or God's law. Rather, he's calling our attention to why we keep his word. The difference of the assurance, okay, if I keep this, then God will accept me, versus I keep this because I want to love him and I'm devoted to him after all the grace he's given me and Jesus. Why we keep God's word. If you've never done so, I invite you to believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for our sins. And when you believe in him, he will receive the free gift of eternal life. And then I would urge us all to gratefully abide and keep his word as we draw closer and closer to him as he promised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel that Jesus, the Son of God, died for our sins, was raised from the dead to justify all who believe in him for eternal life. Thank you for your word. Help us to treasure and keep it as an expression of our love and devotion to you. Give us the same passion and motivation for your word that Jesus had, that the psalmist expressed when he said, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. I pray, Father, that your hand of blessing would be upon us all as we pursue our relationship with you and not just practice a religion.
In Jesus' name I pray, amen.